Okay, welcome back to Forgotten Lakers. We're here today with Swen Nader. Uh, he had quite an accomplished career in the ABA and NBA. Played just one season with the Lakers, though, in the 83-84 season. Swen, how are you doing today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, like good. we talked about earlier, it's the weekend, so no complaints here. Okay, sorry I got a cold, so I don't sound like me, but that's all right. No, that's all, that's all good. Um so one of the first questions I typically like to ask is, you know, how did players get interested in playing basketball? When did they realize they had a future in it? But just doing my research for this episode for you today, I saw that you didn't really play organized basketball until you got to community college. So can you go into how, what made you play at, you know, such a late age relatively? Well, you know, most of it had to do with my stepdad. Um, not letting me play basketball in high school. I was the tallest kid in the school when I was a mm-hmm. junior. How tall were you at that point? Uh, oh, as a senior, I was six seven. I graduated okay. six seven. I grew another four inches after that. But uh, as, as a junior, I was getting around six two or six three. There might have been. I think the center on the high school team um, was six six. And we had a, a decent high school team, but we could at yeah, Wilson High School, Long Beach. I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Woodrow Wilson and, uh, and Polly. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, I didn't play basketball. Well, I, I was born in the Netherlands, so I didn't get here till I was nine and never saw basketball, never heard of it. I played soccer. Right. Uh-huh. So, which is very similar. Uh, so I liked it. Uh, when I got here, it was mostly kickball, you know, I was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kickball, which I was very good at cause I'm used to soccer. So I could kick the ball out of the, out of the uh, campus usually um and tetherball and things like that but you know basketball i liked because i I was tall and um it was putting a ball in a in a some kind of a goal or something you know and it was some marksmanship which i always enjoyed you know a target or and uh but then you know in junior high i didn't play basketball i don't think we had a team Mm -hmm. but i did play before school every day I came early and played out on the outside courts. It's in Long Beach, so you can, you know, the weather's okay, and you yeah. can do that. So, uh, but I, I wasn't very good at all, and I couldn't jump. I mean, I couldn't, you know, I'm the guy that they coined the phrase after, there's no shorter time span known to man than white hang time. I could get off the ground and be back, you know, really quick. Oh, yeah, okay. So, uh, you know, but I had a nice touch. And then in high school, you know, they, we had a decent team. They didn't need me. The coach never talked to me. And I was, you know, one of the bigger kids in the school. And so as a senior, now I had a stepdad. You know, I came to the United States in, in kind of an odd way. Um, I, I heard that story. Yeah, you can go ahead and explain yeah. it. It's really interesting. Okay, so my mom and my dad, my real dad, had three children. My sister, Renee, and then myself, and then my little brother, Evo. <clears throat> or Ernie, <clears throat> as he wanted to call himself. So my mom and dad divorced at three. My mom had the kids, but mm-hmm. she had nothing. She in, the, in those days in Holland, you got nothing. All you got, you, you got the kids, you got the kids, but no money, no part of her salary or anything. So she couldn't afford to take care of all three of us. Mm-hmm. So she kept my little brother with her, and my sister and I went to a friend of hers. Uh, this lady, her name was... Tonta means aunt, Gerards, so Tonta Gerards. Um, and then one day my mom and dad, uh, my mom and stepdad now, 
came over to the house with my little brother, and they said we're going to America. And I was very excited about that because I had been uh, watching Roy Rogers in the, in the neighborhood. Somebody had a TV, and every Wednesday, all the kids from the neighborhood would go to that one house, the only TV in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and watch Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, black and white. And I, so I wanted to be a cowboy, and I thought, hey, we're going to America. I'm going to be a Roy Rogers. I'm going to meet him, and I'm going to be a cowboy. <laughs> so that was exciting to me. But my stepdad quickly said, but you and your sister are not going. We'll send for you when we get the money. So they left on uh, uh-huh. and arrived uh, New Year's Eve on 19, 1955, I believe it was, in New York Harbor. And, and it, you know, five years go by. <laughs> A few letters, my mom, and think, you know, about how beautiful it is over there. And oranges are growing on the trees out in the street. And you can just pick them. You know, I'd never had an orange before. Apple or anything like that. So, well, I had an apple, but oranges and citrus was just unheard of over there. Then um, my mom and dad, see, were sponsored to come to the United States uh, by a Quaker family. And in those days, you had to have a sponsor to come to the United States. That uh, Quaker family, the Andersons out of Phoenix, Arizona, they realized that it was never my stepdad's intention to bring my sister and I over. Mm. He never he never wanted us over. So they went to work, and they went to a NBC, Hollywood. There was a program called It Could Be You. It's called The Show of Surprises. And they went, and they, they told them the story. We got this. And by then, my, my, my sister and I had been in three foster homes, and finally we were, we were in an orphanage. <clears throat> That's where we were at the time. So they went to NBC and said, we got a couple of kids that are separated from their family. They're in an orphanage. And they need to be here. And the mother has legal custody. And they said, we're going to do it. You know, of course, they had to go through some, you know, checking things out and see if it was possible. But yeah. they, they went and did it. So one day in the orphanage, my mom, my sister and I were called into the office. And there was a director. And um, sitting in a chair was a, a lady in a uniform. Well, she was a flight attendant for American Airlines. And so he told us we were going to America. So we, you know, we met with our entire family and said goodbye to everybody and, and flew to um, New York City and then transferred to American Airlines and went to LAX and limoed over to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Now, can you imagine, Jeff, going from an orphanage to the Beverly Hills Hotel? You know, <laughs> at the orphanage, we had meat once a month. We, we we did have plenty of food, but it was mostly, you know, potatoes and vegetables, cheap things. Uh-huh. But so I ordered, of course, you know, room service and chicken and all that stuff. I never had room service. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. And on the way down there, I was, had, the, all, I had so much ice cream I threw up. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never had ice cream before. So uh-huh. anyway, we were at the Beverly Hills Hotel. A couple of days, a day later, we practiced in, in the studio. Coming out of a windmill, they had made a windmill about 10 feet high where my sister and I could fit in the back of very, very nicely. It was, you know, half a windmill. And so, you know, the plan was that my, the Andersons, the Quaker family, were given four tickets to the show on Saturday night, which was the next day. Uh, they were to bring my mom and stepdad to the show. And mm-hmm. it would be, the idea was that it was just, they were going to a free Hollywood show. Somehow they got tickets. And it's kind of fun to watch. My mom and stepdad had no idea. My sister and I were there at all. So yeah, so the show started. We're behind the. We were the first one. So the windmill was back behind a curtain, and we were in the back of it. And they had the little thing turning with an electric motor. The the, 
you know, the windmill and, and they had some fake tulips all around or it was really nice. And, uh, and so the, the camera, when the show starts, it starts panning around the audience and zooming in on certain people and asking, it could be you, it could be you, it could be you, which was the name of the show. And finally it zoomed in on my mom and stepdad and they were super surprised and the usher took them all the way upstage. Wow. And then the host, you know, Mr. Bill Layden was asking him a few questions, noticed an accent, asked my mom, no, you're, you're from Holland? Yes, yeah. She said, yeah, I'm from Holland. And, and she said, do you have wooden shoes and tulips? Yeah, and, and windmills. Said, yeah, yeah, we have windmills. Have you ever seen a windmill? Oh, yeah, many windmills. He says, I bet you've never seen one quite like this. Then the curtain opens up and there's the windmill, right, with my sister and I. Wow. So it was beautiful and uh, a miniature, but it was very, very beautiful. He said, Did, have you ever seen the inside of a windmill? And she said, oh, yeah, we call it the molen. You know, a molen is a windmill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the molen. He said, I bet you've never seen the inside of one quite like this. So the ushers opened the door and out we flew. And I went into my uh, mom's arms and uh, my sister went to my stepdad's. And I almost knocked my mom over. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the feeling is very difficult to describe of a reunion between a son and his mom, you know, after a long, long time, five years. Wow, so is that show like on uh, YouTube or anything like that, that episode? No, I can't, I can't find that one. Oh, wow. I can't wow. find that one at all. I don't know if it's anywhere, but uh, they still have, it could be used, and you can see them on YouTube, but that one I couldn't find. Ah, okay. So, yeah, that was pretty pretty crazy, but then, you know, I, on the way home, uh, it was pretty obvious my stepdad was pissed off, and Mm. And for the next 10 years, from age 9 to 19, it was pretty much hell on earth uh, at, at our house. Uh, yeah. uh, hard hard to, you know, go into all the details. And, you know, and, you know I never went to a dentist. By the time I, I left at 19, I, I was at Cypress College. And that's why, yeah. that's why I started playing basketball, because he wouldn't let me play in high school. Uh, and, and somehow the assistant coach talked him into letting me play. And I got... To be, I mean, for my first year, I was horrible. I was horrible. Uh, but toward the end, I started coming in the games and, and doing something. And then, of course, that summer, between my freshman and sophomore year at Cypress College, I was, uh, I, I played in the ghettos every week, every weekend, and lifted weights and just learned how to play the game and on the playgrounds of LA. And was there anybody playing you were playing with on the playgrounds that you know became a big college star, NBA star as well? No, not at first. You know, I went to the gyms where the gym rats were. You know, these guys were, uh, they're there. Every, I mean, that's like a religion every Saturday. They're in the gym, and, and most of them are, you know, they can't shoot a lick. They think they can dribble. Uh, and some guys are pretty good. They came in, you know, they want to just get some, some workout. Like me, you know, I was I was not bad. But um, having to fight for the ball and, and learning how to win and, Learning that rebounding is, they want you on the team if you can rebound and put a couple yeah. of balls back in. And, you know, being one of the guys and uh, being accepted into that family. And then, uh, you know, things develop and you, know, you get friendships. And, but then I'd move around to a different gym and a different gym. But eventually, you know, I'd find where the better players are. I had to move up and always mm-hmm. play against people that were better than I. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I got to where, you know, the next year I was an All American and player of the conference, averaged 26 points, 16 rebounds a game, and 
set a rebound record in junior college that still stands, 39 rebounds in one game. And, <laughs> uh, and then uh, and I always tell people some of those misses might have been my own, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, Ben, uh, but at the beginning of that year, after my first couple of games and my name was in the paper and, and my stepdad got jealous and he told me to quit the team. He said, tomorrow, he said, you don't go to practice. So I said, okay. So I grabbed some stuff the next morning, some extra clothes, and left home and stayed with one of my teammates' families. Mm. And then they went back. So how did the recruitment process work coming out of Cypress Community College to eventually land you at UCLA? Well, I was recruited by uh, most major colleges. Uh, UCLA being one, SC, Florida State, who ended up being in the finals a couple years later. Uh, Denver University. Stan Albeck coach, you know, it was, uh, or Bob Bass, I guess it was, uh, no, no, Stan Albeck, uh, Bob Bass was at Texas Tech, that was another one, mm-hmm. so, but I chose UCLA, because I wanted to stay close to home, and, and, uh, and I thought, you know, even though Coach Wooden told me that I was going to be a backup behind Bill Walton, that's what he told me, Yeah. I, I, I thought I needed the practice, you know? Mm-hmm. But if I were to go into a major college program right now and be thrown to start with with no experience, really, it might send me back. So I played against the best college team and the best college center every day in practice yeah. for for three years, and uh, and I was a number one a number one uh, well first round draft pick. So I'm the only guy who never started a college game. That was the first round draft pick. Yeah, you know, I read that, and I thought that was so interesting because yeah, when I read that, I was just gonna looked up your college stats. And I was expecting like some monster statistical records and whatnot, but it didn't even seem like you you got a whole lot of playing time. So how did you bridge that gap between not getting a whole lot of playing time, not starting in college, to being a first round draft pick? It was, uh, you know, you just practice every day real hard and you get a lot of experience. We did. We played a lot of basketball in practice at UCLA. Coach yeah. Wooden had his weird theory that to learn how to play basketball, you got to play basketball. Yeah. <laughs> and and so we didn't do a whole lot of drills, but mm-hmm. but he controlled things. You know, he taught. So I had a lot of experience, and uh, you know, if you can score against Bill Walton, you can score against anybody in the NBA. And I I knew you know in the summers as I was playing against some of the better teams, and by then we we're playing at you know at the UCLA in the old gym. Some of the better players would come. So I'd play against SC. I'd go to Long Beach uh, Rec Center and play against the Long Beach guys. They mm-hmm. had a really good team. So I knew that I was there. I knew that I was going to make yeah. it. And so, but then, now remember, I, I spent five years in college. I redshirted my first year at UCLA. Redshirt means, for those who don't know, that you, you practice, but you don't suit up for the games. And so mm-hmm. you you don't lose that year's eligibility. You get an extra year. So the NCAA gives you five years to play four. Yeah. So you can, so you can do that one time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was a good move for me. And um, I'm going to say my junior year. So after my, but actually my fourth year, uh, the Olympic trial, it was 72. So we had the Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. That was the year we lost. The first time we lost. Oh, to the Soviets, right? Yeah, to the Soviets. And... Uh, and Coach Wooden, well, Bill Walton, they wanted Bill Walton to uh, to be on the team, of course, right? The Olympic Committee. But they said he had to try out. He had to go to the tryouts like everybody else. And Bill said, look, I'm the best center in the country. We just won a championship. I got bad knees. I can't be pounding up and down the court during the summer. 
be ready for next year. I need to relax, and so I, I can play, but I only made a few practices in the games. Mm-hmm. They said, "Well, we can't do that. We can't make you special." I said, well, "He said, well, then we're not going to do it." So, and they stuck with it. I yeah. mean, that, talk about an idiot! Yeah, <laughs> no, not Walt. I mean, Hank Ivan. My God. Yeah, you got this guy. You know, but it's that ego, and also, you know, it's it's anti UCLA. There, there is at that time there was a jealousy in the rest of the country that you would not believe. I mean, it's like it's happening in Trump right now. That's that kind of, yeah. that kind of hate, you know. And and Coach warned me about it. He said, "You're going to see it." And uh, I said, sure enough. So Bill didn't play. So Coach asked the Olympic Committee if they would accept me in the, for the trials. And they said, "Yeah, I guess so." And, you know, I just as substitute, you can come. I ended up leading the whole camp in scoring. So they had no choice but put me on the team. Then we went to Hawaii to practice. And I could, I can't eat right after a practice because I get too wound up and I'm thirsty and I fill my belly with water and I'm not hungry for another hour. But mm-hmm. we, we were staying at the submarine base, which was dumb. And, you know, the meal schedule, we had three practices a day, which was dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and then you, uh, you have to eat right afterwards or the mental closes. So I hardly any food at all. And so I lost 20 pounds, Jeff, in, in one week. 20 pounds. And I went back to him three times. And I told him, I can't eat. And it was John Bach. John Bach is the guy, uh, I think it's John, who was an assistant coach. Haskins I liked, mm-hmm. but it was John Bach who was the anti-UCLA guy. And I saw that firsthand. And he was in a, a meeting, and he took charge of uh, when I went in the last time, I said, I, I can't go on. He said, well, that's too bad. Then you just... Uh, then you just go ahead and leave. Oh. And so, and here's your ticket. He had my ticket already. John Bach was the guy. And Hank Ivey saw later, and he's a really nice guy. But somehow John Bach got this whole thing, this anti-UCLA thing, and that's exactly how it happened. But John Bach will tell you something different. But that's exactly how it happened. Yeah. And so I went home. But still, uh, people... Uh, saw what I could do in the trials, and that's when my stock went up. And then after my senior year, I got to play in the uh, – Coach Wooden got me in Pizza Hut All-Star Game, mm-hmm. which was the All-Star Game that uh, were the best seniors in the country to showcase, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I was backup center for the West behind a guy named Mitchell from Kansas, or Kansas State, I think it was. And – he got hurt in our practice the day before the game, so I had to play the whole game, starting everything, and I got 36 points and 29 rebounds. I got MVP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I ended up being the first round draft pick. Do you know? Do you remember who else was in that game? That particular All Star. Oh yeah. Well, Ed Radliff was on my team. He kept feeding me the ball. He was the greatest guy, man. He was Ed Radliff was a starting guard for Long Beach State. Uh-huh. And uh, he and I still talk to this day about that. I and mean, I owe him, man. I owe him and Walden. Yeah. Uh, the other guys on the other team, there was a guy from Kentucky that was just what we call a stiff. He couldn't do anything. Uh-huh. And he was one of the best college centers, but I was way better than, he, than any of them. Yeah. And it was all because the fundamentals at UCLA, the fundamentals on John Wood, learn how to play the game, playing against Bill Walden. And don't forget, playing against Jamal Wilkes and Larry Farmer and you know, Tommy Curtis. Yeah, so that was for, I believe, you're drafted by the Bucks, correct? Well, I was drafted, yes, I was. In the NBA, I was. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
and then uh, so then also drafted to the ABA. So what went into your initial decision to go to the ABA rather than the NBA off the bat? Well, the Bucks had a center by the name of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay, I guess you would have been serving as his backup. No, Obviously. no, I would have, I would have had to move him out of a starting spot, and I didn't want to do that to the guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was a there was a lot more money in the ABA too. I got a hundred thousand a year, or supposedly, but I never got I never got most of that. Um, but uh, you know, it was a chance for me to play, and I started almost immediately, and went got traded to San Antonio, and was a starter there, and New York Nets. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, and then uh, when the ABA folded before uh, they had a draft, see they had a draft of the ABA players into the NBA, and before that, I signed with Milwaukee very quickly oh, for hundred thousand gotcha. dollars a year for three years. Nice, oh, cool. There, there, I became a starter very quickly. Don Nelson took over as coach. One of my favorite guys. Don oh Nelson yeah, yeah, right. and one of the best coaches we've ever seen. Great. Yeah, there's, I mean, like I said, growing up in Dallas, so he had a long stint as the Mavericks coach. Yeah, then the, your Milwaukee stint was reading you were one of guess, six players in NBA history to have a 30-30 game. You had a 30.33 rebound game. Uh, do you have any distinct yeah. memories of that particular night? Oh, I do. Uh, you know, but first, you know, Russell did it a couple of times, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilt did it a lot of times. Yeah. Well, Chamberlain. Uh, and, of course, Moses did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once or twice, I think twice. I think Moses did. So because you know he used to rebound his own misses. Yeah. And that's how he got the points because he was a horrible shooter. But anyway, <laughs> but but a great rebounder. Uh, yeah, it was it was one of those games. It was against Atlanta Hawks. It was at home, and uh, and you know there were just a lot of, of misses out there, and I was getting all the defensive rebounds. I got I had twenty I had twenty rebounds at halftime. Uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, one of those games where the ball was bouncing your way. I'd always fight for a position. Uh, there, there's three keys to rebounding, three steps. First, you got to assume the shot is going to be missed. Two, you have to get in position to where you think the ball is going to bounce to. And three, you have to go get the basketball. And that second one, you know, getting position was, was wrestling, right? Was yeah. Moving, but, but, but quick. Get there first and hold the position. And so... In that game, the ball came to me a few times. Some lucky bounces and things like that. And then, you know, but I worked very, very hard. But when you work hard, you get lucky, right? Isn't that what they say? The harder I work, the luckier I get. Yeah. And sometimes it just pays off big time. Like I ended up with 33 rebounds and then 30 points. Yeah, so then you had a lengthy stint with uh, Buffalo Braves, later San Diego Clippers, uh, then want to get to your obviously your Lakers season for this podcast. You know, it's just so cool just to see that the, the teammates you got to play with that year, Magic, get you reunited with Jamal Wilkes, Kareem, James Worthy. So, what was it like? Yeah, you had some experience in LA. Did, like, what was it like to finally get to put on that Laker uniform? Well, it was a dream come true, and, and I really mean that. Uh, first of all, you know, I was with the Clippers. I really love that. I was there four or five years. And, I love that team. I love the guys. Uh, you know, we didn't win a championship or, or get even close, but we had a camaraderie, and I love the town. But so to go to the Lakers, you're an instant contender, right, which is mm-hmm. very exciting. That's what you play for. That's what you practice for. But when I was a kid, you know, I told you about my stepdad. I loved to listen to Chick Hearn call the Laker games. Oh, yeah. And, and so I had this little transistor radio, and when I go to bed and there was a Laker game, 
I put that transistor radio underneath my pillow and turned the volume down so that only I could hear it and nobody else could, right? Mm-hmm. Right on my ear. And I'd listen. I'd fall asleep dreaming about being a Laker. I said, I'm going to be a Laker one day. Oh, yeah. And then in 1983, I got traded to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a beautiful year. I, I I was coming off of an injury, a real bad knee injury. So it was slow, you know, slow improvement throughout the year. But toward the end in the finals against the Celtics, I was at pretty much full speed and, and made a contribution. Not quite enough to win the whole thing, but uh, it was a beautiful experience. And, you know, to walk into the locker room the first day of the I got traded, you know, partway during, uh, I think the season was already started. You know, to see Jamal again, that was really cool. And, and, and Kareem, I'd met him before, and he was a UCLA guy, so that was cool. He was happy to see me being his backup. And then, of course, James Worthy, one of the greatest players of all time. Mm-hmm. Cooper, one of the best defenders I've ever seen. Uh, Larry Spriggs, he was a backup and a great player. And then, uh, you know, Rambus, he was a guy, that guy's valuable. Yeah. What, what he did in there, he played really great defense, and he got some big boards for us, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there was a guy named Irvin Magic Johnson. I don't yeah, know if I've heard, of heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, he was he was the the spirit. He was the spirit of the team. He set the culture of the team, which was basketball is fun. We play together, and 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 nobody cares who gets the credit. That was it. And and Coach Wooden once told me, he says, it's amazing what a team can accomplish if no one cares who gets the credit. And Magic Johnson exemplified that every day. I mean, if he got two points, but he was able to get Kareem 35, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's fine. You know, when uh, when when I was a senior and uh, Bill Walton and I were on UCLA, Bill had the greatest college performance that we've ever seen to this day. He had 40 four points or something. Uh, he only missed one shot. He was 20 for 21 mm-hmm. from the field against Memphis State. And we won. And I got to play about three or four minutes toward the end. We went to a stall. And I was out way out front in the guard position if I needed to be to catch the ball, throw it back to guard and get back to the high post, just come out, you know, and get the ball. We were going to stall. And then one time I got the ball and I said, to hell with this. I'm going to the, to the hoop. <laughs> Coach Wooden got mad. But, Swan, you are not supposed to dribble the ball. You know, I could hear him. But I went to the hole and laid it in, so I had two points. Nice. So Bill had 44, I had two. The mm-hmm. next day in the paper, Jeff, headlines in the sports section. This is the way it read. Nader and Walden combined for 46. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is in the, in the where were we? Uh, St. Louis, yeah. Yeah. In the St. Louis paper. And you know, Bill Walden loved that. Uh-huh. He absolutely loved it. And that's the spirit of a real team player, right? He doesn't care who gets the credit, and that's the way Magic was. And it was just a beautiful year. I wish we wouldn't have won the whole thing, uh, but it was a great experience. And, you know, in the locker room, it was fun. Uh, uh, Magic would always talk about, you know, where they went to dinner last night or some dance thing they did, bar, you know, or, or something. And, you know, but it was after the games, you know, a lot of teams talk about, somebody will say, man, did you see that move I made? Well, it was never like that in Laker. It was all about, did you see that pass mm-hmm. or, or the pass that you gave me? I mean, I didn't even know that was coming. You know, and usually I was about magic, passing somebody on the break. And then uh, and then Cap, you know, we call him Cap. It's, uh, it's Kareem because he's mm-hmm. the captain. And he's really shy. Cap, Cap is just shy. He's extremely intelligent, and he didn't like the small talk. When magic would go into one of his... Uh, things after a game of, or on the bus the next day, you know, about almost a play-by-play. 
what happened the day before in the game. Kaepernick would just start smiling and smirking, and then all of a sudden he'd break out and go, yeah, and, uh, and, and I said, your mama, and I, when I dunked it on her, you know, or something like that. And he was funny. And, and Worthy was uh, yeah, a gentleman at all times, as he appeared to be, of course. Could run like a gazelle, you know. Uh, and and he was a money guy, you know. He was used to to winning games. Uh, he he could make winning shots and and so fast and finished so well. And he became a really good friend of mine in, in Rambus too. Uh, and then Cupcheck as well. Let me tell you something. You got a minute? Oh yeah, of course. So Cupcheck and Rambus and I. This is my idea. I said, all right, because you know we're all rebounders. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, this practice. We're going to keep tab on our rebounds. So anytime there's a scrimmage situation, you know, where it's scrimmage. It's not in a drill, it's a scrimmage. If you get a rebound, that's a rebound. And you keep tab. And you keep letting everybody know when you get another one so they know what the score is. And between the three of us, whoever has the most, the next game, next time we go on the road, the other two guys have to buy him dinner. So we, we did that uh, throughout the season. Oh, yeah. And it came... It became a war, Jeff. In practice. I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> a war. You know, like like the ball be shot, and and the, the whistle would blow, right? So the ball's in the air, whistle blow. You know, Riley would blow the whistle to stop the play because he wanted to say something. Well, here's Rambus and Kupchak, and I fight for that freaking ball. Yeah. He, what are you guys doing? Oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, there would be a lot of trash talking. But we became really good friends, went out to dinner quite a bit. On the road, of course, you know, I won most of those rebound things. But, ah, yeah, good for you. Um, well, they might tell you different, and they, and they might be right. Yeah, that's a good point, good point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, then you, you know, uh, um, it was a lot of pressure on, the, on O'Reilly. And I don't know if they thought that I didn't pan out. I, you know, the next year... I got talked into going to Europe by this guy named Legary. He was a horrible manager of, uh, you know, trying to get people out of the NBA into Europe. Uh, but, uh-huh. but I went for it. And I should have stayed with the Lakers. I could have played another three or four years. And I would have won a championship. And it was, you know, would have, could have, should have. But I loved it in L.A. And I got to meet Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, it was a great time with the Lakers. No, those are really great stories to hear. I mean, like I said, uh, talking to former Lakers, getting to hear about their time in L.A., it's always really interesting, especially just uh, get to hear it as a fan. So I appreciate everything you just shared. Thank you. Yeah, so I saw you've written a couple books, uh, you know, one that you got to do with John Wooden and another one with Pete Newell. Do you have uh, plans for any more? I've got one that's at the publisher now, getting ready to be finished up. It's going to be called Unstoppable, How to Develop the Great Post Player. Oh, so let cool. me, uh, that's, that's basketball stuff, but let me tell you, uh, you know, for those who are listening or may, may be interested in, in having me come in for a motivational speaker or a keynote, it's yep. what I do. My website is www.swendator.me mm-hmm. and uh, you'll find all the information there, the telephone number, my cell number, I answer it myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love to uh, talk to big groups, and I do a lot of it. Uh, I'm not cheap, but it's well worth the money. Uh, and uh, you're going to hear John Wooden's stuff, and we can talk about John Wooden's leadership for corporations. Uh, we can talk about this formula for rebounding that I gave everyone. You know, assume every shot is missed, get in position, go get the ball, as applied to real life. We call it uh, rebounding in life when change happens. Use that formula, and you keep moving ahead towards success. 
So you hear a lot of these stories that I told, but a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> and some of them we can't tell on the air. <laughs> gotcha. But anyway, uh, if they want me to come in, swing in it at me. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, yeah, I'll post that link in the episode description and uh, try and share it as widely as I can. I don't think I have too much of an audience. <laughs> um, uh, no, that's fine. Well, thank you so much, Swen. I really appreciate getting to hear about your um, Lakers career and uh, your other stops, UCLA and everything. Best of luck with your motivational speaking and um, hope to talk soon. Yeah, and, and good luck in your podcast. So this is something you want to grow, right? Oh, yeah, of course. I'll definitely uh, reach back out to you regarding Kurt Rambis. And if you you know, happen to have a contact of another any other former Lakers, like I'm obviously all ears. So <laughs> thank you. All right, cool. you take care. Have a good Saturday.